Welcome back, or welcome if you weren't here with us this morning. Uh, before I, uh, Isla and I moved to the mission field, an old friend of mine who had been on the mission field for something like 10 years, uh, just kind of working with us, getting us ready, telling us what to expect, and trying to get us ready as best he could. But he said one time, he said, he said Gordon, you're about to discover what Jesus meant when he said, in me you're going to have life and have it to abundance. He said, because on the mission field, he said, you're going to find this abundance. Uh, it's not just here, like, oh, mountaintop after mountaintop. No, you're going to get some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows, some of the hardest things and some of the best things ever because you're going to the mission field. And he shared some of his experiences with that. And I think that is true. And I think it's not just mission field true. I think it's true, true uh, anywhere. Uh, but this morning was kind of like that. I had... Some, uh, a church member came to me and shared uh, a, a prayer that, well, I'm going to, I can't share, let you know who this was. It needs to be between her and the Lord at this point, but, uh, but something very deep and ardent desire that been praying for for so long, and finally there looks like maybe there's an answer, and she was so excited and nervous, and, and then we had a, a luncheon after second service, which was great for Roland and Susan Esparza celebrating their new marriage, and we circled around them, and we shared blessings, and we, we, it, was, it was really cool, and then we got the news about Chris this morning, Chris Hines, who, who finally lost that battle to, to cancer and won his reward, and what a gut punch that was in so many ways. Uh, while we kind of knew that was coming, it was just so hard because... Um, Anyway, you know, but a little bit of abundance this morning in, in, in a nutshell, and how good it is to be able to live together, right? To have this community around us, whether we're celebrating something, or like Jerry prayed about just a, a couple of moments ago, we're, we're really going through one of those rough times to not go alone, uh, and to do this life with this full spectrum uh, from really bad things to really great things, to do that with each other and to do that with the presence of the Lord and His Spirit is such a wonderful gift. And that is my segue, I guess, to talking again about prayer. And we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight if you want to open your Bible. Uh, there's a lengthy prayer. We'll do part of this prayer um, from Paul tonight for these people he loved in Ephesus. Uh, I will tell you, my prayer life is undergoing some kind of specific changes right now. I won't tell you what they are at this point. It's between me and God, but it's been good. And at some point, I'll share with you what I've been doing a little bit differently. Um, but it's, it's been very good and kind of is reaching up to God this year in prayer, trying some different things. But it's been very helpful. But I don't know about you. I mean, it is one of those things I really want to grow in prayer, which is Let's just talk about prayer, this little box. I mean, we're talking about a conversation with God, right? We're talking about a relationship, and prayer is that, is that dialogue that we have with God. And I want to grow in that because uh, I think that's important. I think that's something God wants for me. Um, and Philip Yancey, I think, did a good job in his writings talking about the why as far as why do we need to take prayer so seriously. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote, if prayer, if prayer stands as the place where God and human meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life, and I love this, most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. 
why God doesn't act the way we want God to, thinking about that a little bit with Chris this morning, why God doesn't act the way we think God ought to or we want God to, and number two, why I don't act the way God wants me to. And he says prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. There's a lot of wisdom there. Prayer, I think, very much contrasts, though, with the world, with the culture, with, with the way we do our Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday existence. It is at odds with the world of measurements. Um, and we live in a world of measurements, and maybe Sunday is the best day of the week to talk about measurements because you've got a lot of football games on TV on Sunday. Uh, and football, like culture and pretty much everything else in our world, it is a game of measurements, right? The quarterback is 24 for 35. He's got three touchdowns and one interception, a pretty good day. Or uh, the running back has 80 yards on 15 carries. Or it's third and eight. Or, you know, I mean, measurements all over the place. It's a game of measurements. The defense has forced three turnovers today. On average, they're forcing 1.2. I mean, it's a game of numbers, of very objective facts. And you can look at a sheet of paper and go, okay, they had a good day or they had a bad day, generally speaking. Of course, we're not even talking about the clock right? I mean, clock management as those numbers tick down and the timeouts you have, the game clock, the play clock. Um, and I just mentioned that because football, I do think in a lot of ways, the game, which is a very American game, a uniquely American game, uh, it is a game about measurables. But Sunday isn't just NFL day, right? It's church day, um, day that we gather, and it's a day where um, for a long time churches have been about measurables as well. Um, they talk mostly about nickels and noses, right? About the contribution, nickels, and the number of people that show up, the noses. We measure the nickels and the noses on Sundays, and we watch them over time to see is attendance trending up or trending down, is the contribution trending up, trending down. Um, we're Americans. We love those numbers. We love to measure things, and it's ingrained in us, and I don't know that other cultures do this. I didn't notice this in Brazil. We lived there for 10 years, but it is ingrained in us as Americans literally since day one. When you are born... After finding out the name of the baby, we want to know what was the weight, how long was the baby, uh, you know, chart that little guy. From day, we even put it on birth announcements. You know, here's a picture of little Roscoe, and he weighed eight pounds, two ounces, and he was, you know, we, we put that on the announcements that we send out. We are into numbers, man. And then little Roscoe goes into the pediatrician for his checkups and, you know, what percentile is he in? Oh dear, he's only in the 47th percentile on weight, but hey, he is taller than you. We get into those numbers and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We just, it's what we do. And then he goes off to school, right? Little Roscoe goes off to school and then he will be measured for the, for the next 
uh, 13 years or so uh, of his little life? Is he going to be an A student or a C student? Um, oh dear, he's a D student. We need to be praying about that. Uh, and then he grows up and he'll be measured based on his salary. Are you making six figures or not? You know, are you successful or not? What, square footage of that house? Uh, we're going to measure you based on that. Uh, so enough examples. Okay, I get it. We're, I think you're with me on. We love to measure stuff. We love to, to judge off of numbers, kind of scoreboard off the numbers. And I just think we need to come to terms with that, with that hardwired desire that we have as Americans to measure stuff. We love the quantifiable. And it's good to know that because we're going to need to kind of check that when it comes to matters of prayer, matters of faith, matters of walking with the Lord, um, because the measurables don't tell the whole story. Um, they may tell me what I produce, but they don't necessarily tell you who I am. Um, and so it's a struggle, I think, for us, because um, we've bought as a culture hook, line, and sinker into that idea that the things that matter can be counted, can be numbered, can be measured. But they can't all the time. Very interesting work done by a guy named Harvey Cox, who was a, uh, a professor in Harvard, at Harvard Divinity School. And he explored the difference between our minds, the Western mind, and the Eastern mind, okay? The mind of, of pretty much everyone, well, not pretty much, no, everyone who was involved in the Bible as we know it had an Eastern mind, and he talks about that, and, and he finds, anyway, wrote his findings in this book, the, uh, the book's called Turning East, and he finds that we are incapable, as Westerners, incapable of thinking like an Easterner, right? Um, we are wrapped up in our schedules, in our objectives, in our to-do lists, in our budgets, um, and in results that are tangible and visible, and we haven't, he finds, given the time of day to those things that aren't measurable. Um, they may seem like a waste of time to us or fluff to us. Well, Paul was an Easterner. Jesus was an Easterner, if you will. Um, and so was everyone else in the Bible. Um, so Easterners, they don't think that spending a few days on a spiritual retreat with God, they don't think that that is a waste of time. They would see that as an investment in their soul, right? in their spiritual life. Um, think about that. Did Jesus, did Jesus launch his ministry with 40 days of tent meetings in Jerusalem? Or did he launch his ministry with 40 days all alone in the wilderness? So as we come into our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, if we can do our best to kind of check our natural tendencies, our line of sight thinking, our measurables, objectives, results-oriented thinking, and if we can just kind of try to create some space for the Spirit of God tonight, that would be really helpful. Because this is not one I think you're going to disagree with me on. The Christian life is a life of faith. 
right? A life of faith. And our prayers are faith-based as believers. And faith, faith is definitely not about the concrete and measurable, is it? At least according to Scripture, it's not. When we're introduced to this uh, kind of uh, core idea about what faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is what we have. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. What we cannot measure. What we cannot put under a microscope or look at a telescope. It's, it's being certain of this invisible reality. Or listen to how Eugene Peterson translates that in the message, verses 1 through 3. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, what set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's Word. What we see created by what we don't see. So, that may sound like mumbo-jumbo. That may sound confusing because we're Westerners. Right? Because faith is not about the measurable. It's not about the quantifiable. It has to do with the unseeable, the immeasurable, and it ties into the God. God is spirit, right? Um, and because He can... And He has created something out of nothing. He's created the universe out of nothing. And so we consider that. In fact, He makes worlds out of nothing, speaks them into existence using ingredients that we cannot comprehend or see. And so faith has to do with moving in this realm uh, where it's harder to measure, I'm not going to say impossible, harder to measure, and moving in the spiritual world, spirit instead of material world of God, and faith is navigating that world with a lot of trust in this relationship with the Father. Um, faith, I love that line in the message, it helps us to see above the crowd, to be aware that there is, quite frankly, more than meets the eye. There is more going on than we can see or we can perceive. And of course, faith for us as Christians, it's not something that's optional, is it? The writer of Hebrews continues in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is it possible to please God without faith? No. You have to have faith to please God. And so the powerful prayer tonight, we're going to move over to Ephesians chapter 3, and it is a prayer with a different view of things, right? Uh, 
with a different view than the measurable, quantifiable, objective view of things that we get used to taking in. So let's go into this prayer tonight and just think about and try to get a sense of what Paul is asking for. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Paul tells the church, For this reason... I kneel before the Father. Posture of prayer, kneeling before the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're part of God's family. It's pretty great. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Okay? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that what? To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love that prayer. That is a gorgeous prayer, a thrilling prayer. Um, to a Westerner, it can be a little bit, though, of a frustrating prayer. Uh, and I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit works through these words to help us out. Uh, now, it is a very easy thing, a very normal thing to do to come to God in prayer and ask God to change a certain set of circumstances. It could be the circumstances of someone who has a, a terminal disease or a chronic illness or a, a, a job situation. Uh, it can be your own family situation. You know, to God, come in and change this. Help me get this promotion. Help me get this job. Cure this sickness. Uh, do all of this stuff. Um, but Paul is praying principally here in this text that God will change not the circumstances, but that God will change me. That God will change us. Verse 16, through His Spirit to change our inmost being. Okay, that's not very Western language he's using there, right? Uh, Thomas Merton once wrote, You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. I'm going to read that one again. That's good. You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. And that seems to be, to me, a good kind of distillation of the theme of what Paul is on his knees asking for. 
um, that we would understand who we are in God's family, given God's name. I mean, we wear the name Christian. And understanding who we are in our inmost being, some of the resources, invisible resources, spiritual resources, that we have access to as God's power courses through us and through our community. Now, the biggest change for me is the one on the inside. But what I tend to pray about is all the stuff on the outside, right? On the outside, there will always be shifting circumstances and situations, and yes, there are going to be some storms. There's going to be some rough, rough weather in my life. Uh, and there's going to be some good stuff too, thankfully. But what I need most, as I read this prayer, I'm thinking what I need most is an inside job. That's what I need most. I need a work of the Holy Spirit on my mind, on my attitudes, on my heart, on my sense of, of identity, really. And if I'm connecting to Christ, if I'm living with Christ, if I'm hooked into the vine, this, this life of ab abundance that he has for me, at the deepest level, if I'm connected there, then the circumstances, they're not going to topple me, right? Storms are inevitable. I just need to make sure my anchor is immovable. I didn't make that up. I don't know who did, so someone else gets credit for that. But storms are inevitable. My anchor is immovable. So Paul gets on his knees in prayer, and he is asking God to strengthen us, to strengthen the church on the inside. And he also, if we pay attention, there are a couple of contradictions in the prayer, or at least apparent contradictions. Westerners look for stuff like that, right? He asks that, that, that we would know how long and how wide and how deep. Measurements that we would know all of the measurements of God's love. And then he says, and it surpasses knowledge, so it can't be measured, right? I mean, it seems to be contradictory there. Um, how is that possible? <laughs> how can I grasp something, Paul, that you've just told me is not knowable? And I think it's not a contradiction at all. I think it's only an apparent contradiction to Westerners like us. Um, real stuff, real stuff should be knowable. Real stuff should be quantifiable and measurable. No, not if I move by faith. Not if I move by what is not seen. So that's not a contradiction at all. Because we can know the love of Christ, know the love of Christ, not just here, but we can know it in here. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Just kidding, I can't explain it. <laughs> I can't explain it. It's outside, he tells us it's outside the, the realm of knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. So how deep, how wide, how long, how high, um, that we would know that, Paul prays, but I think he's saying that we would know that here. That we would know that in our inner being, in, 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 our, in our experience with God. Um, 
And it's with this love that Paul prays the Ephesians will be rooted and grounded. Now, we've got this audacious request here in this prayer. I like prayers that ask for big things. Uh, And Paul is going to ask that God will do some things that only God can do. Um, We pray for God, not only asking uh, for Him. When we pray to God, let me put it this way. We pray for God to work according to His capacity, not according to our constraints. Does that make sense? I'm like, God, work within my talents and work within my this and my that. No, I, want, I don't want you to do that, God. That's great, but I want you to work according to your capacity, which is infinitely greater than whatever I have to bring to the table. So this is a prayer that Paul is praying for God-sized things. This is a supersized prayer. So remember, we're praying to a God who made the world out of nothing. So we may have no vision we may have no objective measurable reasons to think that something that x y or z can happen but god can work with nothing i just want you to remember that when you're praying Um, he's been doing it since genesis chapter one he's been working with nothing since genesis chapter one amen and so we have this verse verse 20 let's put that on the screen Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And we could, we could do a lot of different, chase a lot of rabbits here. Um, think about marriage for a second. You may have some friends who have a marriage that's falling apart. And by all appearances, it looks like there's no way they can work this out. I mean, it's taken them years to get in this mess. Uh, It looks like there is nothing left there. Um, And we need this kind of prayer. We need a more than we can imagine sort of prayer. We don't have big enough imaginations. We need to ask God to work in those situations and believe that He is at work. We may not be able to see the raw materials of how it could be that. It could be a health situation or a job situation or a family situation or a you-name-it situation. We don't have to be able to see, well, how could God do that? I don't see how God could do that, so I'm not going to pray that prayer. Let's let God do the God things and ask Him to do that more than we can ask or imagine. I think we give up too easily when we work with line-of-sight prayers. Oh, I need this promotion, I need this job, or I need my child to get this grade in this class, or we need this scholarship from this university, or we need this diagnosis from the doctor. We pray for things that are reliant upon our sight lines sometimes, and we need to be praying for God to do things that we can't see or imagine. And so we wouldn't possibly know exactly what to ask for because we don't know how it would even happen. Uh, We pray to the one who can do immeasurably more, who works outside the measurables. Let's finish by praying. Can't take on this prayer in this text without 
praying together tonight. So if you would bow with me and we'll wrap up here. Holy Father, Holy God, you're the one that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3 who does immeasurably more, who has a mighty power that is at work within us, who is capable of doing that which we can't even imagine. You have a love that surpasses knowledge. And Father, this is you since the beginning. And so, Father, we come to you tonight as a God who can do immeasurably more. And I pray, God, that same prayer, that essence of that prayer that Paul prayed, that you would change us through your spirits in our inmost being, that you would do what you need to do, not just with our results, not just with what we produce, but in our inmost being being, working at the level of identity, of who we are, not just what we produce. We need your help with that. We need you to give us a sense of who we are in Christ Jesus and of the riches that we have access to because of our relationship with Christ Jesus. God, we pray tonight, especially just different news that we get that's not the news that we would want. Today I'm especially thinking about Chris and Lauren and the bad news we got, the sad news we got today. We know, Lord, that storms are inevitable. That we're going to face those. And we pray that you will anchor us in you, in the immovable reality of your love for us, of your protection for us, of your plan for our lives and our futures, no matter what. And we pray that you will give us a sense, even though we can't, as Paul says, know it in the strictest sense, that you would give us a sense, a feeling of your presence and of your amazing deep and wide love. Father, I thank you for your wisdom. As Paul writes this, he's praying for a group, he's praying for a congregation, he's praying for a church in Ephesus. And I thank you for your great wisdom in not making this project of living by faith an individual effort, but a community work as we do life together. And I pray that we can lean into each other and support each other and encourage each other and celebrate with each other and cry with each other and laugh with each other that we can do life together and be this people of faith who are rooted together in Christ Jesus. Continue to bless us and bless your people wherever they may be around Dallas and Fort Worth and the rest of the world encourage and strengthen and build your church and help us as we reach out to those who aren't anchored in your love and who haven't found their true identity in Christ. Help us to share those good news, the gospel with those people. We pray all of this with thanksgiving in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Let's be standing together and let's work 